Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hey everybody, this is Shane Claiborne. Thanks for joining me. I have been talking through uh, this new book that I wrote, Rethinking Life, and um, I, I'm always really careful to say if you're just tuning in, don't worry. You can go back and listen to the old episodes if you if you want. But each one of these is kind of its own um, show that you can you can listen to on its own. And this week, I, I'm building on um, the idea that Jesus is at the center of our faith. The word Christian means Christ-like, and yet there are a lot of versions of Christianity that are not very Christ-like at all. (laughs) Um, There uh, are plenty of things that try to camouflage themselves as as Christianity, but they don't look like Jesus. And um, in in one of the past shows, I said, it's got to pass the sniff test. If it doesn't smell like Jesus, uh, it's not Christianity. Um, And and that's why, as I think of Jesus, um, there's this paradox at the heart of the gospel, right? Which is that um, Jesus is brutally executed on the cross. And this is the pinnacle of history, what Jesus does on the cross and through the resurrection. And yet, um, even the idea that we call it Good Friday, right? The Friday that we, um, you know, liturgically in the church remember the day Jesus died. There's this paradox at the heart of it. And if we miss it, we can end up with a really ugly version of Christianity. And there's there's emails and letters I get all the time that say, why, how could God possibly be against the death penalty when God used the death penalty to save the world? Uh, obviously, God believes in the death penalty because God killed Jesus. So we're going there, y'all. <laughs> And as I said in the in the past episode, uh, uh, you know, there are ways of reading the Bible that can make a monster out of God, or at least portray a God who's easy to fear, but hard to love. And that's why I want to spend a little time thinking about um, the most famous execution in history, what Jesus did on the cross, um, uh, why Jesus died. Uh, As we think about Jesus, I've I've been saying that Jesus is the full revelation of who God is, and Jesus is this consistent um, uh, interrupter of violence. He's subverting death from the moment he's born uh, uh, through uh, his death on the cross. Um, And yet there are ways of understanding why Jesus died that can reinforce perceptions of a violent, bloodthirsty God. 
There's some versions of why Jesus died that portray a God who had a gun pointed at a sinful humanity, ready to kill us, but then at the last minute, aimed the gun at Jesus and killed Jesus to save the world. And I want to say we can do better theology than that. The the cross um, is complicated. I mean, I mean, this is a mystery. So it's not like this is just a a problem to be solved, but this is a mystery to be pondered. And part of the problem with any theology is that we're trying to wrap our hands around a God, uh, wrap our heads around a God that's uh, bigger than our minds, <laughs> bigger than our heads can hold. So the best that we can do is just begin to unpack some of the mystery of Jesus's death. Um, I want to tell you one of the best theologies that I heard, which was sadly started um, with a tragedy. Um, there was a, a 19-year-old um, young man who was shot um, in, actually in front of my house, and I heard the gunshots. It was pretty late at night. I ran outside, and he had collapsed on our front step. Um, He'd been hit with a number of the bullets, and, and I was holding his hand. I prayed with him. The ambulance came. They took him away. Um, and I, I later found out that he passed away the next morning. His name was Papito. But after he was killed, um, it was right during this season that we call Lent, right, that was leading up to Easter. And we decided instead of having all of our Easter services inside church buildings, let's get into the streets, right? We, we did things like we remembered the Stations of the Cross, which is the, the series of uh, episodes during Jesus's death. But we sometimes look at pictures of them inside our buildings. But this this year, we went into the street and we remembered um, the stations of the cross on street corners where people's lives were cut short by gun violence. And, um, and our good Friday service was one of the most powerful ones I've ever had. Uh, and instead of doing it inside the building, we did it um, in the street and the young man carried a giant cross and we did our services in front of um, one of the, the gun shops in our neighborhood. It was called the shooter shop. And this wasn't just any gun shop. It was a, a gun shop that notoriously was um, found uh, selling guns irresponsibly, uh, irresponsibly. And um, so we, we gathered outside of it and we had our prayer services there. We remembered Pat Papito. Um, and then we read the gospel reading of Jesus's death and the women weeping at the feet, foot of the cross. And after this service, um, we, after we read the gospel, we actually invited moms and dads who had lost their kids to share their stories. And I'll never forget this one mother after that service, she came up to me and she's weeping and she says, I get it. I get it. And I said, what? And she says, God knows what it feels like to lose your child. God knows what it feels like to be me. And I realized it was Papito's mom. And that idea that God knows what it feels like um, to see your own son um, brutally killed. I, I heard a, a different version of that years later when a mother was talking about seeing her own son executed by the state. Um, and she said, God knows what it 
feels like to see your boy executed at the hands of the state. And she told me about the experience of um, losing her own son as a victim of the death penalty in the United States. And even she talked about um, holding his hand after the execution, the first time she was able to touch his body in decades because they didn't allow um, contact visits. So the first time she touched his body was after the execution. She said his hand was still warm. You know, his cheek was still warm when she kissed him. And that's deep. I know this is a little this is a little hard to hear, but that's part of the point, right? Is that at the heart of the gospel is a God who suffers with us, a God who leaves all the comfort of heaven to join the struggle here on earth, who is born as a brown-skinned Palestinian Jewish refugee in the middle of a genocide who's executed on the cross. I mean, this is what Philippians says. Christ Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, not something to be exploited, but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus gets executed. And in order to understand all this, I think we, we've got to see that there is a God that is willing to suffer with us. Uh, that, that's one of the first things that as we see the paradox of Jesus, you know, as, as a victim of violence and death, um, we end up missing the whole point. <laughs> if we don't see that what Jesus did on the cross was absorb all the violence of the world and put it on full display in order to subvert it with love and forgiveness and an empty tomb. Jesus's death uh, is God's ultimate subversion of violence. And the cross should do something to us, right? Not just in our heads, but in our hearts. What Jesus did on the cross is not just this theological puzzle to be figured out, but it, it's something that should reorient our whole lives, especially when it comes to how we think about violence. Because what's just as important as what we do with the crucifixion is what the crucifixion does with us. What does it do to us every week when we drink the blood and eat the body of the executed Savior? It should sensitize us, right, to the pain of others. And uh, so, I, you know, I, in, in this book, Rethinking Life, I sort of unpack uh, some of what I think is at the heart of the mystery of Jesus's uh, execution um, and his resurrection. And one of the things that um, is, is so important is that um, Jesus died a very ordinary death. The, ex the, the crucifixion, that is what the state did. They executed people, hundreds and hundreds of people. And it was exposing this violence uh, that, that, that Jesus kind of puts it on full display. And even as Jesus is being executed, right, there's someone being killed on his left and on his right. Uh, so let's, let's think about this just a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as sometimes as we think about atonement, um, we, we, it gets really 
complicated, uh, you know, these ideas of penal substitutionary atonement and all this. But one of the ways you can think about atonement is it may seem, sound a little elementary or cliche, but, um, you know, if you if you parse the word apart a little bit, it's at one minute. So there's this idea that all that was lost in Adam is now restored in Christ. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation itself, connected to this idea of shalom, right? That this harmony, this oneness that God created where everything is at, at sync and as it should be, um, that is torn apart. And as we looked, you know, we talked about the the, the first fruit of our sin in the Garden of Eden, Um uh, that the first time the word sin appears is Cain and Abel, is this murder, this violence that then begins to spiral. And we see the flood and this, you know, saving of a remnant of creation in order to give it a fresh start. So all of this we see in Jesus, this new atonement. And the early Christians had an image literally looking at the cross, which was the cross is anchored in the ground, in the earth itself. And there's that dimension that God is restoring a broken humanity um, to its relationship with the whole creation in the earth. And there's the horizontal element of our relationship with one another. And there's the vertical dimension of the cross, restoring our relationship with God. So that uh, atonement is part of what God is doing on the cross. And there's also this idea of solidarity, right? That um, James Cone and many other great theologians have pointed out that um, what God does in Jesus is join the ranks of the despised and the marginalized. Um, uh, He joins the ranks of those who um, are lynched and those who are executed, those who are tortured. Um, Jesus is the most profound act of divine solidarity that the world has ever seen. It's God leaving all of that comfort of heaven to join the struggle here on earth. Even the word crucifixion is where we get the word excruciating. Um, Crucifixion was one of the most unimaginable, evil, agonizing ways to kill someone. There was so much carnage and bloodshed. Um, it was a slow, gruesome death, right? And scholars say that there were even um, predators, um, wild dogs and birds of prey that just flocked and hung out on, on the, the area where people were being crucified. Part of the reason that people needed to stay at the foot of the cross was to keep the predators from eating um, the bodies and picking at the meat of those who were being crucified as, as they died. So it was terrible, right? It was shameful. It was excruciating. Um, And people were humiliated, right? Like they were stripped naked. Jesus was stripped naked. There were times when, when the people who were crucifying folks would distort their bodies and do cruel things with 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 the way that they were nailed and, and hung on these crosses. Um, Even in Jesus, we see that he was, you know, insulted that they put a a crown of thorns to try to mock him. And, you know, as he claimed to be, you know, the king of the Jews, and that was what was put on his cross. He was given a purple robe. It was all meant to be a mockery, right? And yet the cry of the cross in the midst of this mockery and this excruciating pain was this solidarity that we see. 
I mean, the actual cause of death of, in crucifixion was varied. I mean, it was a mixture, the scholars say, of dehydration and lack of blood, shock, heart failure. But most of the time, it was actually uh, uh, a loss of breath, asphyxiation, you know, suffocating. When we think of the final words of George Floyd as his neck was crushed in Minneapolis. I can't breathe. That same cry of Eric Garner as he was uh, killed by police in New York, this chant that we hear in this, the streets, I can't breathe as folks are, that, that idea of what, what God does on the cross is in solidarity with all of the people who have been crushed throughout history. As Latin American theologians said, the crucified peoples of the world, this is God's solidarity act. So the cross was a uh, you know, it's been said that the cross could only become a symbol of um, a beloved religious symbol a generation after anyone had seen a real cross. <laughs> you know, I remember the story of Clarence Jordan, uh, the you know great uh, sassy uh, theologian from Georgia, founder of Koinonia Farms. At one point, he was preaching in a church that had this giant cross. And uh, I think it was worth, they had paid like a million dollars or something. They were explaining that someone had endowed it. They had left some money and they got this gold cross. And and uh, uh, Clarence Jordan said, wow, you paid a lot for that cross. He said, y'all got ripped off. They used to give those things away for free. <laughs> so the cross in the ancient world, you know, it wasn't to be adored, but it was to be feared. It was a symbol not of victory, but of defeat and humiliation. The cross, as James Cone says, you know, it was an icon of imperial terror. In Jesus's day, it evoked the same feelings that we might have today of the noose or the electric chair. Not something, you know, most people would wear around their necks or get tattooed on their arms. It was meant to be a symbol of imperial power and torture. It was a standard method of execution. Uh, there was one point where the uh, Roman general Marcus Crisis, uh, it, this is like in the first century, he crucified 6,000 people all at once. One of the, the historians in Rome said there were often so many crosses on the horizon that you couldn't enjoy a good sunset. It was cruel. But it was also a part of that first century Roman world. It was a regular liturgy of death, uh, to use a church word. And, you know, it was this ritual of violence that is a lot like that. I mean, the, the executions today in our country are a ritual of death. It was the theatrics of empire, as my friend Mark Taylor puts it. The um, James Cohn says it's the, the Roman Empire's public service announcement. Don't do what they did or you will hang on a cross too. So on the cross, Jesus joined the crucified uh, peoples of the world. He um, comes to feel our pain, even to the point, imagine this, that Jesus is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? During the moment of Jesus's death, in, in the time leading up to it, God feels the absence of God. Come on, <laughs> that, that is this act of God's solidarity with us. So if there are times where you feel like God has forsaken, you just know that Jesus felt like that 
at one point too. There's nothing wrong with feeling the absence of God sometimes. And um, so Jesus makes a spectacle of death. He puts death on display. And as we said, it was it was God's critique of power. As James Cone said, the cross was God's critique of power, snatching victory from defeat. They thought they could kill God. They thought they could crucify love, but God's love stole the show. So it's God's ultimate protest, God's rebuke of death, God's kind of fist held high in defiance of the Roman deity and power. Jesus is hung naked, but he strips the empire of its own facade of power. So Jesus transformed one of the most horrific icons of evil into a conduit of God's love. And no one could miss it, right? The sun stood still, as the scripture says, the sky split open, the earth shook, the veil of the temple was torn apart, the entire system of death unraveled. I like to say that Jesus was uh, like water poured on the electric chair to short circuit the whole system of death. So now, You know, as we center ourselves around a suffering Savior who died with mercy and forgiveness on his lips, it should sensitize us to the victims of murder, to the victims of execution, to the victims of all violence and torture and bullying. It should make us suspicious of state violence, right? We should be the biggest obstacles of death. Our suspicion of death goes back to 33 AD. (laughs) And even before that, we know what the state can do. And yet we know that love gets the last word. Grace gets the last word. What Jesus did on the cross should reorient everything for us. So there is that thought that, um, you know, as Jesus reconciled this idea of atonement, that God is restoring everything. And at the heart of the the, the cross is this idea that um, God's justice restores. It sets things right again. It heals the wounds. All that was lost in Eden is restored on Calvary. And now to rejoice in death anytime, to try to justify the death penalty, is to undermine the reconciling, redemptive, healing work of Jesus on the cross. He was the sacrifice that ended the sacrificial system. So that that just like that water poured on the electric chair, it was to short circuit the whole system of death. And this is what I want to say as we close. You know, God did not need blood, but God was willing to die. Folks like my friend Brian Zahn and so many others have unpacked this good, better version of a nonviolent atonement. Jesus was not obligated to die. Jesus was willing to die. Jesus did not sin, but he exposed our sin. Jesus did not succumb to violence. He absorbed our violence. Jesus did not kill, but God died and rose again. So it it matters that there was a, a God who was more interested in dying than killing, who shows us in Jesus that we've got to distinguish, right, between um, God needing blood and God being willing to shed God's own blood. This is not just a little theological thing. This is a big theological thing. There are serious ramifications when we choose to believe that God 
was the inventor of the electric chair rather than the one who poured water on it. So the cross is not as much about divine wrath, but about about divine mercy. The cross is not God's endorsement of the death penalty, but God's rebuke of it. God would rather die than kill. So, you know, Rene Girard has done such great work with the um, it, it, this idea that Jesus is the end of the sacrificial system. And, and he suggests that we needed a way to atone for our sins. So we began this sacrificial atonement that, you know, was originally sacrificing humans or children. And then we moved to animal sacrifice and blood sacrifices. But the vaccine didn't last. Come on, somebody. And we needed to keep making sacrifices over and over. There was so much blood. So then Jesus comes as the sacrificial lamb. He became the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, or as Rene Girard might suggest, the counter-sacrifice, the one who didn't even want to legitimate the sacrificial system, but just blow it up altogether and say, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. So we can't worship an executed Savior and seek to kill other people. To do so is a disgrace to the holy work that Jesus did on the cross. Uh, We're crucifying Christ all over again, as Hebrews says. So this is not about uh, needing more blood, but God being willing to shed God's own blood. Jesus was a sacrifice to end all sacrifices, the Prince of Peace. So let's dare to believe that God is as beautiful as the cross reveals God to be. Let's believe that God is as beautiful as Jesus, that God is as beautiful and that all of Scripture is made flesh in Jesus. In Jesus. The word become flesh. It changes everything when at the center of our faith, there is a God who is willing to die, but not to kill, to show us the way, the narrow way that leads to life. In a world that keeps living by the sword and dying by the sword, Jesus did not carry a sword or a gun. He carried a cross. He didn't come to kill his enemies, but to save them. That's how big God's love is. We're out of time, y'all. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.